Hello, welcome back to Bench Units for what is episode, I don't know what number, I'm going to say at a rough guess 130 something because we love sticking on 30 something for a while. My name is Mark, I'm joined by James. How's it going man? Are you excited for the last episode of 2023 most likely? Uh, yeah, to, to quote uh, a great man from a TV show that you get bonus points for recognizing if you listen to this, it's 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 good, it's, it's going to be good. I don't even recognize that myself. So. You've you've seen it, so we'll I'll, I'll leave it out there for anyone else to see if if they get it. But yeah, okay. um, saw a cl- saw a clip of that on my way to getting set up today, and it killed me. So yeah, it's 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 good. It's 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 going to be good. Yeah, I'm gonna have to deep dive this when we get off here. Um, All right, no worries. We'll do. I it think if you run through the stuff that both of us have seen and really enjoy. Yeah. That's still quite a deep list for the average person, but like that's still not a big long list. Like it's deeper than for, two average people, but what's that? Full marks for uh, working in the Bojack reference when we had Mandel on the other week. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, before we get started, I've been pondering some philosophical basketball questions, and I wondered if everyone has one of these. Do you have a best teammate you've ever had? Oh, oh, that's a great question. Um, I think anyone who can just say yes and pick someone immediately hasn't had enough good teammates. Um, no, I've had. Oh God, yeah, no, I've had. I've been very lucky. I've had a load of, a load of. I mean, the the obvious, the obvious answer is me, but I'm going to assume that you're not giving that as an answer because that would be too easy. Yeah, no, that would be too easy. Also, you don't play anymore. Um, so, yeah. Um. I don't think I can boil it down. There's been a lot of I've been really, really lucky. I've played with most of the most of the people I've played with have been very cool and continue to be. Um so yeah, I don't know. Do you have one in mind? Is that why you is that Well, I, I was trying to think about whether I had one or not, and I found it very difficult to answer, which like you say is a probably a good sign. And then conversely, I tried to think if I had a worse teammate I'd ever had. And it was within like a split second. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. So, <laughs> That's so funny. Tell me that all there. Oh, it's Darren Greenfield. It's fine. Oh, my God. He he doesn't listen to podcasts, so we're entirely safe. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to move us on because <laughs> that's not what we're here for. Um, But, yeah, do you want to talk some do, basketball? Do you, have, do you have a worse teammate while we're here? You don't have to tell me who it is. Um. I haven't had any absolute nightmares either. Like I haven't had people who've like, I know some people have played with people that like make it genuinely difficult to come to training and stuff. Like people who really like, you don't want to go and play with like it. I've never had someone who's like made basketball worse, which is, it's funny. I, know, I know a lot of people have, cause that's pretty great. A couple of ex Bill Bow guys we've had who were like, man, by the end of year two, we were drinking before training. <laughs> <laughs> It's a um, it's an ode to your ability to people please that you're like yeah these guys are fun. Yeah, that's really funny because I heard people like when I was thinking of coming here, some people were like, yeah, the environment can be a little tough sometimes, but like you can kind of get on well with anyone, so it'll be okay. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's nice. And then it's just people pleasing, like it's it's like an anxiety response. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool. It has served me well. Um, talking about things that haven't served me well, should we talk about the streaming of Juventud and Getafe? Let's do it because right. it, it's particularly ironic given that um, yesterday we 
uh, that we got tagged in that thing, didn't we? Or we spotted it on the, uh, it was on the bench and its Instagram came to our attention from Munich iguanas, and we were like, hey, let's share this and get help these guys get some good streaming equipment because it's so important. And then I realized this was the one game from the weekend I'd not caught any of. And it goes to overtime, but you wouldn't know that because the stream cuts out in the middle of the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, like four minutes to go in what is a very tight game at that point. Uh... Not, only, not only does the actual video cut out, but the graphic displaying the score actually stays in the top left corner and ticks along in time with what you see on the play-by-play. And after a while of just being a black screen, there's a moving carousel saying we will be back in a few brief moments. And it yeah. does that for 35 minutes on the stream. Yeah, and also there was a point where the scoreboard up in the corner on the blank screen said 22-22. And I was like, I don't think this game was ever 22-22, but okay, like, what do you mean? Um, It kind of reminded me of, you know, when you played like a career mode or like a coaching career mode in like 2K or you can do the same in FIFA or probably any other sports game and you're in it for the like the coaching or the management of the squad and you just kind of fast forward some of the games. It kind of reminded me of that. You could slow-mo it. Um, or no, sorry, you could speed it up and watch a game in like two times speed, but it would just be like blank screen or screen with stats and the time going down in the corner. It kind of reminded me of that when you like simulate a game on FIFA or whatever, except they give you some indication of what's going on. But yeah, no, that's disappointing because I don't know, like previous years, the two teams at the bottom of the league playing against each other wouldn't be something I cared about, but. I think we're quite lucky that we have a pretty strong bunch of lower down teams in the top leagues compared to four years ago, probably. So this was one I kind of wanted to watch, like, because it's like gunners on either side. Like, I wanted to see if Rodrigo could outshoot Lorenzo Wimbo or the you Colum- know. I was I was hoping this would be the Colombian shootout between Rodrigo Perez and Jose Leap, and then Jose Leap only took five shots. <laughs> it's like, man, where'd the rest of the shots come from? <laughs> and then it's Gustavo Villafanier uh, with eighteen shots, and Fabian Castilla asserting his dominance as the, he's like, "Hey, I'm the double amp with the ball around here and getting twenty-one shots up." <laughs> yeah, we spoke about that in the context of them breaking out of a press, but like. This is one of the times where player coaching might carry a little bit of sort of jeopardy unless you can put certain things to the side. And I'm not sure he can at times because it's like, hey, like you should probably put the ball in some other people's hands. Um, yeah. Well, but... the, the thing between him and Leap, and I guess Verfanier is like, hey, this town isn't big enough for all of us to be missing at least two limbs. And it's like, well, if anything, that would make the town seem bigger by comparison. So you should all be able to get along fine. Yeah, so there's uh, definitely more room for people yeah. who have limbs missing than there are for people with all of their limbs. Uh, yeah, this, this is definitely it easier for like round uh, <laughs> horses rather than like limbs and stuff that just that, that becomes a nightmare um yeah. but yeah no this i was looking forward to this i i because i'm absolutely demented yeah. it was particularly wild given that uh, i think at the point where it cut out it was joventut by six and it had been joventut by ten uh like yeah. a couple so if you look at if we ignore the first three quarters which is actually some of what you're able to watch um, Getafe win the fourth quarter 18-10 just to tie it up and then win the overtime period 
13-7 to come away with a six-point win. So Jovan took 69, Gustafi 75, excuse me. So if you look at that last 15 minutes, that's what, 31-17 to Gustafi? Um, which 31 points in 15 minutes for a team that I know they've been missing guys, but they've been having entire games where they don't get above 30 points. <laughs> um, yeah. Perez really? was pretty quiet. Um, I've not done the maths on how many of his points must have come in that final stretch, but it certainly didn't feel like he was having a game long onslaught. So if anybody has any hidden footage of this game or if there's like Blair Witch camera style stuff knocking around anywhere, hit us up because I would like to see that. Uh, but yeah, if are... anyone was there wants to draw it in like a flip book, <laughs> um, that'd be great. Also, coincidentally, that's where um, the Spanish League have decided that they're going to stream the next Illunion and Alpacetti after Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. In a flip book in the pocket of someone who went to Badalona, Getafe. <laughs> um, I yeah. can't, I'm going to think of a different place to stream this every week and make a joke about it. And yeah, I'm going to run out of options real quick. Well, uh, I'll declare it up front, but I'm going to at some point try and trial my new bit where based off of Mendel being an absolute freak show and saying he was watching a game side by side with the Greek Super Cup. I'm going to try and figure out increasingly obscenely um, obscure games that I have going to have watched instead of the German and Spanish games I can't be bothered with. So yeah. Also, you say... What's oh, sorry? Bench units bingo for people who are listening. Yeah, also you saying the Greek League just reminded me, I don't think we ever spoke about this, but how happy were you to have like the question of I wonder where that happened, where that guy went to, just answered resoundly by seeing the Puerto Rican national team and just like three guys that you didn't know where they were previously, all on the same team. It's <laughs> my favorite thing in the world. I was like, I wonder whatever happened to oh yeah, he's Puerto Rican apparently. Like I like wonder yeah. what happened to Zach play. Oh yeah, he's playing for Puerto Rico along with Cano. Mind <laughs> you, was Puerto Rican obviously, but it's like <laughs> I just loved it. I was like, what do you mean all four? What do you mean these four guys are on the floor at once? Yeah, are you? I used to, I knew a guy going back ages who had a theory that everything that ever went missing ended up in Tibet. And I don't know what his logic was for that. He's like, but stuff, stuff just appears in Tibet. And it was like, oh, this is actually kind of like Puerto Rico's national team is like wheelchair basketball's Tibet in this guy's theory. Yes. Uh, the next time we play uh, Mercia, we're going to be streaming uh, that game live into the Puerto Rican national team. <laughs> cool. Right. Uh, so we run through some numbers here. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So uh, Joventut with um, Castilla with 24 on 8 of 21 shooting. Uh, so some big numbers, but pretty inefficient there. Um, Villafane with 16. Uh, Lorenzo Embo with 14 on 6 of 8 shooting. Hey, oh, get yeah. that guy the ball a little more. Uh, Jose Leap. Four points, only shooting the ball five times, as you mentioned. And then Ben Leach, four from six off the bench for nine points. Um, no one else. Funnel the ball to a bit more. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know. It just, like, guy that coaches the team leads shot attempts and shoots 38% in a game that they were winning by 14 and lose is a little... I don't know if it's, like, 100%, like indicative of anything but it, it might be worth having a look at but i don't know um it's really hard to do both things at once so absolutely um 
Getafe side, Rodrigo Perez with 31 on 23 shots. Legend. Relatively efficient game, but compared to some of the stuff he's had to put up beforehand. Um, Paco Quiles with uh, 21. And I think this might be the first time all year, but Getafe got a third guy into double figures with, what's this guy's name? Um, I mean, Azus. He had 13 on 6 of 11. And yeah, I think that might be they they finished with those guys um, all three out there together and a couple of lows, and it seemed to give them. I mean, I guess we'll never know because um, we didn't get to watch the last like eleven minutes of the game. But they seem to have found a unit that in this game at least gave them enough supplementary scoring to help carry them over the finish line. And yeah, shouts to Getafe man. The uh, portion of this game that was viewable was very fun to watch. I'll give them that. Yeah, would have been fun to be able to finish out. That's disappointing. Um, but yeah, so we have a rule on this podcast that we don't talk about blowouts that were 20 or more. But when it comes back around to 50, do we like, is there a milestone where we have to talk about it again? I don't like, I don't think so. I don't think we get a whole lot from talking about Vigo 64, Alunion 114, except. If this was visual, I'm glad this is not like a video podcast because I would have had to like pay someone to Photoshop my eyes doing the cartoon like bulgy out <laughs> thing and the like the old, old car horn um, at the same time. But yeah, 114. Uh, we haven't seen many of those in our handful of years doing this. We've seen a couple close. I wonder if Turingen ever got the I highest. Think- the highest I ever remember is the highest I ever remember is Thuringen cracking 130 in one game. Um, but that was against Trio, I think, but without Dirk Passavan, so it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know if that, re- like, obviously it does count, but in spirit, I don't know if it does. Um, Either way, oh my God. Um, think... And also, no one, like, I don't know, like, Tom cracked 30, and then there were a couple of low 20s, just everyone got going. I I drew this one up to, um, obviously, somewhat of a nightmare scenario for Vigo, who have been pretty competitive even against stronger teams, uh, missing both Luis Edwards and I don't know why Luis Edwards is he Spanish? I don't know why I said his name like he was Hispanic there, Luis Edwards. Yeah. Um, right, I, I could have let you have that, but and Oscar Knight. Um, it but... is really funny when you're talking to Spanish guys about, like, say, your game planning and you mention people from other countries, they like, it's so much easier for them when it's a guy who has a name that you can just say like it's Spanish. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, they were obviously missing those two guys who are the bulk of their speed and mobility. Um, quite honestly, I don't think it would have mattered no. at all. Um, this just struck me as one of those games where it's like an 18, what is it, 18 game regular season? Um, no, so- 22. 22 game regular season. I think for any given team, you get one game where things go so heavily your way that the other team can't do anything about it. And one game out of 22, you'll just have such a complete performance end to end that it doesn't really matter who or what you're up against. And I, I also think conversely, most teams will have one game so bad that they can't lift themselves out of it no matter what. Um, both. Yeah, I don't think this was both because I think Vigo getting up to 64 points is pretty respectable given their limited availability. Yeah, considering they're missing the MVP of last month of the league. Yeah. Like, um, no, like, and the, the 
20 a game. Like <laughs> They're missing a guy who's putting up 20 a game playing as a, I don't know what. And yeah, um, Illunion just, I mean, they could have played wearing blindfolds for all that mattered and they would have won this game. Um, Tom with 30 points. We, we've said this before with Amadou and it's like you always get the feeling with the big Amadou scoring games. You're like, oh, where did that come from? It's like, oh, he shot exclusively from the charge circle, which was again true of this game, but he only has 16. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Tom. And it's like, man, where did Tom get 30? And it's like, he either flew for fast break layups or he had a one on him and he just pushed to the basket and shot a three foot post up a couple of times. Um, and then started feeling himself and might have taken a couple of threes, yeah. Um, but he did enough groundwork to get comfortable, and yeah, Illunion would just. You know, at, there was at no point in this game was there an Illunion timeout even where they had to be like, hey, guys, focus up. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Everything ran on time from start to finish and fair play to Vigo for even getting up to 64 and still managing <laughs> to lose by 50 because I bet there's not many teams who have registered 64 points and a 50-point loss in the same game. No. Um yeah, very little to say about that. Let's shall we shall we shift on? There's so yeah. many players in the fifteens and twenties. We, we could list stats off for this game. It would take up the bulk of the episode, so we'll just oh. uh, we'll move on. Yeah, let's not bother. All right, uh, next one: Mercier fifty nine, Albacetti eighty two. So this was a game for about a quarter and a couple of minutes in the second. Um, then. So I was watching this on the way to our game. I got as far as it being tied around 25. I don't remember exactly. 25-ish, 25-ish. Um, then I went and like got into my chair, got changed, whatever came back. And it was, I mean, I by double figures at halftime. And I was like, oh yeah, this, this, there it is. There's the run. This is yeah. over. So it was fun to go back and be like, what happened? And then there was a point where it was like, oh, the, the, the lineup that won Champions Cup last year got on the floor together. That's pretty good. Which really just led me down a hole of, can you believe they've just been running people over and they haven't had the best lineup in Europe? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so wild. But like, doesn't, oh my God. Doesn't fill, you with, um, doesn't fill you with optimism, does it, for anybody else when they, um, they kind of run their full unit back. But... No, and you look at like, the one the FIBA stats, they've got like the different areas of the floor that people that they shot well in, like everywhere inside the three point line was high 40s and above. They shot 52% from the left wing down to the three. And then, like, it's just, like they're just, I mean, they are shooting, like, they're just shooting well from everywhere if you look over the season. And it's like, as good as Mercia are going to be defensively like you're going to give something up and they're good from everywhere like it's i mean it it's even it's diversified the first like handful of games of the season was just Filipski doing the bulk of the outside shooting on his own um and i think the game planning for them as there's been more of their season watched was the evolution of it was kind of teams went above and beyond to take away Filipski, and that led to ben having Massive scoring games, which he had 25 in this one, which isn't even as high as he has been hitting on a couple of occasions. Um, and, and considering now, he wasn't playing, like there were minutes where Lee was back on the floor. 
yeah. um, playing. So it was like, it's not like Ben was number one inside presence for 40 minutes. Like he had 25 in 26 minutes. Yeah. And then the Lee's arrival um, probably not coincidentally has fallen in line with Phil's highest scoring game of the year, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Phil with 22, Ben with 25, both on 11 of 18 shooting. And yeah, yeah you um, put it this way. Seeing Lee come back, he didn't have the most enormous game of his own. He had five points in just under 20 minutes, but he was... But how easy did it look for everyone when he was on yeah. the floor? And if you're um, yeah, if you're one of these teams hoping to catch Amiab after Christmas, I think they've probably shown there's not going to be a huge getting back comfortable window where you might sneak one off them. Uh, I think as has been the case before with them when they've been... Guys in that out, not last year because they were pretty whole, but the year before that, Lee was out for a bit, Kyle was out for a bit, um, and you could kind of catch them in these odd games, but they've just got enough continuity now that that's not even really a risk for them, um, yeah. which begs the question as to what their weak spots might be at any point. From Yeah, the fact that they've had an extended run of not having everyone means that there's no, oh, we're coming to play them this weekend and there's this guy missing. I don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to survive it. Like they've kind of, they've been forced into having contingency plans and they've all worked against everyone. So, but yeah, no, there's just a point where it was like, they started running that lineup again. And it's like Lee going to the basket, just like those guys that don't need a whole lot of space on the perimeter that now just have it anyway. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you might be in some difficulties. Like, um, I think I we we being the world of wheelchair basketball at large, just yeah. just FYI. But Quite yeah. honestly, the best thing anyone could do to defeat Albacete would be for like some some group of clubs to just come together, flip a coin, uh, or like have some contest to see who the winner among those clubs is, and then everybody who loses just funnel some additional money towards that team so they can like pry enough players loose from Albacete like a coordinated effort to break the roster up, but that probably breaks some league rules, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say that's probably that's probably not a goer. But yeah, but it was interesting exactly. to watch. Like, Mercia had some, like, interesting ideas, and there were, like, a couple of, like, they were defending the high pick and rolls. Would they just, their idea was, like, all right, the two best defenders we have, like, chair defenders, Lee and Pete, you're going to go two on two on this high pick and roll. And we're going to try our best not to help. And it was interesting to see that, like, okay, you guys have thought of this and had some sort of theory to what you're doing with it, but it just doesn't work anyway. Like, well, it also unravels. You're talking about Lee making it easier. Unravels when those two guys playing defense on his chair probably add up to less than his body weight individually, and he's like, "Hey, I can just bust through these guys like elevator doors." No, um, exactly. And there were a couple of times they ran the high pick and roll stuff with Fifi, and then. Phil was hanging in the left corner, or in the right corner, sorry, and he splashed a couple, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is <laughs> over. Like, but yeah, this went from this happens, this happens in games where I'm very excited about every so often, and it's always like impressive but disappointing. Where I'm like, oh, this is this is a blowout, and it's been five minutes since I was excited to see how the rest of this game went. Yeah, I got to say, mid second quarter, I went for I went to get changed, I went for a pee, whatever, came back, and I was like, oh. I could turn this off. <laughs> like the um, <laughs> I always find this as the season goes on, but games like this where it looks like it was eighteen all after the first quarter, and then it was whatever it was twenty three twenty four or twenty five twenty four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm always excited for them. And then I ultimately find myself resenting Albacete to the point where I don't respect them. <laughs> as much. I'm like, hey, I'd really like it if you could allow these games to be competitive. Um, but I thought the first quarter was interesting because Albacete really tested Pete Cusack and made him like dare him shoot a couple of outside shots. He made a couple. Um, he got a transition layup on the early doors. He was actually Mercia's top scorer with 17. Granted, some some of those were shots that were just handed to him, so it's maybe a little inflated. But I think the real tell with Mercia is the fact that their two inside guys in Lalo and um, Pablo Zazuela had a combined 13 points on 17 shots. And Mercia are pretty big, but they neither of those guys who play their inside roles are giants and it really shows against the Albacetes and again against they had the same thing against the Lunion, I think where the, when your biggest guys are just getting swallowed up there's not a whole lot of hey here's what we'll do about that <laughs> no exactly um yeah uh should we run through scores let's do it all right, so on Mercia's side, as you say, Pete top scored with 17, Lee Fry with 14. Um, we had Lalo and Joaquin Robles both with seven, six from Pablo Zarzuela, uh, four for Biel, and two for Beatriz and Lourdes. And, yep, yeah, other side of the ball, Ben with 25, Fifi with 22, Phil also with 22. Um, oh my god, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Three oh, guys probably, in the 20s. Probably um, actually Amiab's most top-heavy scoring game they've had all season, mm-hmm. depending on your definition of top-heavy, because I guess the games where Filipski's had like 39 and then there's been a couple of guys in double figures could still be considered top-heavy. But most most guys clustered together, and then it's, a, I mean, after Phil with 22, Lee's the next guy up with five, right? So that's... Yeah, Lee with five, Alex Ruiz with two, Vicky Perez with two, and Oscar and Rubio with two. So yeah, um, heavy scoring from Albacete, but that's slightly atypical of what they have done this year. But I dare say if they need any more scoring, they're probably not short of options. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All, All right. right. Cool. Next one, uh, Madiba, 52. Uh Amivel Reyes Gutierrez, 61. Closer than expected. Yeah, a little bit. I yeah. had I had a bit of a, I don't know if epiphany is the right word, but I had a slight journey watching this game. Yeah, um, go on. So I, w- I don't think I will be surprising anybody listening when I announced that flipping this one on to watch, I was not hugely stoked about checking this one out. Um, it, fortunately, I managed to skip a good part of it because I was watching the um the All Star game of the Albanian League. But I think um <laughs> as I um, I kind of watched this and I was like, when I watch one of these lesser teams like Madiba and then someone like Malaga, who I feel like we tend to obsess over how Malaga could upgrade um and make the pieces fit a little bit better. I was watching both John Hernandez and Enzo Trebuchet. And I was like, these guys would look real good if one or both of them played for Malaga um, and that would give them an element of what they needed. Yeah, if they were either helping another team more or had more help on their current team. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then so I watched it for the first half and I was kind of like, yeah, this is trudging along about as expected here. And then 
Um, Malaga brought in John McNamara, who I think has newly arrived at this mm-hmm. point in the season. I think played Malaga do that like um, Southeast Coast or whatever that tournament is called, where it's basically like them and a bunch of very local teams that aren't of their level. The Copa Andaluza. That's the one. Um, and then they they raised the trophy for that one, having um leveled a bunch of like <laughs> Division Three teams. But um, yeah, he came over for that. And then on the bright side, it takes away one of their only free weekends of the year, so that's nice. <laughs> Flip. Um, but yeah, they so McNamara came on in the second half, and I was like, okay, I'll check this guy out. Um, because I don't know if you've seen, they announced the other day they've just completely cut ties with the I can't remember what nationality it was Senegalese guy maybe uh Malatwe. Oh have they? I did not yeah, see that. They announced it and were like, hey, it was a unilateral decision by us, which is very much like, you know, going back to secondary school being like, no, no, I heard she was gonna dump me, so I dumped her. Um but yeah, they put McNamara in, he got on the screen for Kyle a bunch of times and he rolled his way to 17 points on eight of eleven shooting. And suddenly all my wondering about how those other guys might fit in Malaga seemed less than relevant because I was like, oh, maybe this is actually a piece they really needed. And I'm not entirely sure what McNamara's role is. Uh, He's got that US thing where maybe it's our like European view of wheelchair basketball, but we're like, hey, you look like you could be sat more upright and taller than you are. Why is your chair so kind of long and relatively goofy looking like you're a three-pointer who wants to play like a one? But I thought he like, was kind of sat like I was like, is that Josh Torek's chair melted down? Like yeah. that was my initial but reaction. Also, also where my lat is South Sudanese. Just therefore, um, I thought I'd go and look that up for the sake of accuracy. I got the ease right at least. Um, but yeah, I thought McNamara brings them an element they've not really had because they're Salvador's really been their only like role guy. Um, Gabriel Navarro obviously plays huge minutes, but tends to struggle rolling in against bigger, stronger competition. And yeah, Jesus Romero has barely played this year and I think has been past being able to contribute in that role for quite a period of time. So um, McNamara brings them an element. I'm quite excited to see this is hopefully a little bump up for Malaga now. Um, yeah, man. Not sure what they're going to do with lineups because uh, they're a little bit hamstrung by the Spanish player rule. But we will we'll take it from there. And yeah, I uh, thought it just has maybe... to be it just has to be uh Michelle Navarro or um Jesus Romero on the floor at all times. Or uh, Almu's there as well. They oh play... yeah, sorry Almu, yeah, my bad. But yeah, I thought not the most convincing win in and of itself, but certainly material to view within the game that makes you think there's potentially more coming. So shouts to them. Should we do stats? Yeah, sorry, it's just it was interesting. Like I've spent all year looking at the stats, being like, who is this J McNamara? And <laughs> when is he showing up? And then he showed up and I was like, who is that guy? Yeah. And I didn't connect the dots. But yeah, um big key for Malaga was top scorer for Mediba being John Hernandez with 19 but 9 of 21. Managed to keep him pretty inefficient. Um, uh, Enzo Trabuchet the same, 16 on 6 from 19. And then the rest of it was just uh, Ganuza with 8, Hermosia with 6, and Gozibi with 3. 
that kind of was a guy I was like when they came to play us I was like where has this guy come from but I, I don't know what I've just missed all year from watching all the games or sometimes I see people in person I'm like have I seen this guy on a stream or is that just a different <laughs> person but yeah uh, other side of the ball Malaga top scorer um, McNamara with 17 uh, Jaime Esparza with 16 Kyle with 13 uh, Sandoval with 11 and twos from Navarro and Christian Barba. Shouts to uh, Esparza for having 19 rebounds as well. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, and being plus 12. What a guy. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like you play most of the game and you just happen to be on the floor for a little a little minus three, but then you get to you get to be the the plus minus later, all on your own. All um, that. What sorry? I said that's all that matters. Yes, plus minus famous, famously important, famously um, and never at all misleading based on like circumstances at exterior to the individual player. Yeah, who is it? There's an NBA player that was talking about stats. Seems like it's like a lamppost to a drunk person. It'll support you sometimes. You can lean on it, but it won't take you home. Um, <laughs> which I thought was stupid. Uh, all right. Uh, next game. Uh, Bidayak Bilbao, seventy-eight by the lead, sixty-five. So we managed to not do the thing where we completely draw ourselves into a five-point game with a couple of minutes to go. I thought we were going to at one point um, because um, Amir Ahmadi hit two threes in the fourth quarter halfway through at one point, and I was like, oh, okay. We're going to do that thing that we're just in clutch situations all the time for no reason, but this was as close as we've gotten to playing 30-something minutes taking it seriously and doing the right stuff for a little while, which was, which was encouraging because as I said, we've had a couple of, we've managed to get close with everyone. Uh, we still can't, uh, we also keeping violated on 65 is getting a little closer to where you want to be, but still, yeah, it's good to, good to stay out of trouble in this one is what I mean. Um, Cause we've had a little run of not really doing that. We'll officially file this game under no news is good news <laughs> as far as, Stuff like that. Um, and also, we said this before, I, well, I messaged you about it, but yeah, an official bench units game because I didn't play a second. So I actually yeah. got to just watch. Um, you you tied the wheelchair basketball world record for least minutes played in a game. Oh, hell yeah. Um, with five other people in this game alone. <laughs> uh, but we were, yeah, I was going to go in with like a minute to go and then ball didn't go dead. So it was like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry. I can I can sit. It's fine. But you ever get to one of those and be like, man, I would have just got in my day chair with like five minutes left if I thought it was going this way. I've seen people do that. Um, I've seen people do that in international games, but it's like, hey, you're up 30 and there's enough guys on the bench. Yeah, I used, but... I used to die to do that when... I think not my last chair I had, but maybe the one before that used to kill my feet by the time I'd like sat through warm up first half, like half time shoot around. And then it would always get to like a mid fourth quarter. And if I didn't have the adrenaline going from having been in the game, I'd, I'd like to get my day chair now. <laughs> I'm reaching. Yeah, we always have the thing with a couple of minutes to go when I have been playing. If there's like three minutes left and the game's very clearly over, I'll unstrap my feet and I'll turn to someone roughly the same points as me being like, hey, if if someone needs to go and it's not me anymore, just just FYI. Like a, like a game of chicken, see who holds on to 
under the hope of getting subbed in the longest. Yeah, you have to be ready in like certain spots because I remember there's been times where like someone's picked up their fourth file or whatever. Coaches look down the bench, and by the time the guy gets himself strapped in, and all the all the way up there, the other guy's out already. <laughs> but yeah, I thought. Obviously, we've watched Valladolid a little bit. Um, they are still missing the guys who you think would be number one and number two in terms of um, offensive priority or handling the ball, certainly. But uh, Amirez Ahmadi has, at the very least, shown he is going to be a contributing piece in that area, assuming that Hadiazar and Dagamin do turn up at some point. Um Still not really any news on that. Also, Dagerman's name gets yo-yoed on and off the stat sheet game by game as if the team's not sure that he might come crashing through the doors at any given point. Yeah, that's but, a way of like, why do, make, why do they make that choice? I don't know. Um, are you dying a little bit? I'll vamp in the meantime. But um, yeah, I thought the, the vital lead thing is an interesting mix because right now they can kind of cobble a lineup together based around the fact that they've got uh, Amadi and Perez playing as threes. Yelmer is kind of the one true big guy out there. A decent game for Yelmer with 20 points. Um, and then they can get away with Mauro Lazari as a two because of his junior point and uh, Jose Luis Robles playing probably more minutes than you would consider ideal as a two. Um, he... Yeah, the kind of swing piece I felt for you guys was they went with, I don't know if it was foul trouble or just rotations, but they went with Matias Mendes for a stretch there in place of Adrian Perez. And I like Mendes as a player, but that just messes with your floor balance too much, man. Um, I think it was fouls. Um, fouls. Um, yeah. Yeah, because right. you're asking... At that point, you're asking both Mendes and Lazari to kind of play more inside roles because you've taken a, a traditional big out of the game. And I thought they made that sub and you guys ran with the advantage presented to you there pretty well. Um, yeah, if you look at like, they were minus 10 in the minutes he was off the floor and he was only off the floor for eight minutes. Um, also, um Chema in this game, I've never seen anybody so determined to not box out ever. He got like three breakaway um, layups in the first quarter. And one of them was just him jumping a shooter and was like, right, I'm going from here. I think that was the one where Pappy pulled the rebound down facing the wrong way and threw it over his head. Yeah, that's a weird one. Like just philosophically, I don't know if the average team makes more layups than they give up by leaking out. I think it's like you can be selective on who and when and where, but like like a guard going from the top of the key is probably fine for boxing out, but like I don't know, like he and like if you're if you're the big on the side of a one, you probably shouldn't yeah. be leaving. But yeah, hey it worked once, which is gonna just condition us into thinking it's fine. <laughs> but yeah. No, like you can get like I remember having a conversation with someone on a different team about how leaking out and getting breakaway layups was cheap and not good basketball. Jack Perry. Sure. Okay. I think uh, we, we had that conversation with him when he was on the podcast, so I don't think we're throwing him under the bus by reminding people he said that on the record. Oh, I didn't remember that happened on the podcast. Okay. But yeah, it's just like, <laughs> all right, cool. But it's it works. And it's like, I think it's like really effective if you like have it in certain scenarios of like, I don't know, team presses, you 
on a make and you just or not on a make and a miss and then you're just like all right well how about if one of our guys is just already over there what are you gonna do now uh but yeah i i think it's interesting to like because sometimes it's really worth doing because it's free points but like i don't know depends how many you're giving up but got away with it this time um asier with um 21 13 and 9 because of course um Shema 19, uh, Papi 18. We're in business if we're doing that. Manu only three for five, but he only played 20 odd minutes. He kind of split his time with David, who was uh, 12 points. So, David, yeah, Mariana one for one. Mariana having, having, getting, touching the ball once and making it. <laughs> uh, shouts to David as well for coming in the game, seeing how many shots Chema had already got up and being like, hey, hang fire here. I'm the one who gets shots up. He, David also tried to break away for a layup, had two guys back with him, and he just spun, like, kind of posted up Robles and then shot a small fadeaway from about six feet. And I was like... And missed it, right? Yeah, you missed it. I, was like, there is I no- remember I, that was in front of our bench, and it was one of those where you're like, you're on the sideline and all you're doing is telling your teammate that there's people coming. You're like, hey, no, help's coming. Don't worry. Chill out. <laughs> and I thought that as soon as he spun, I was like, ah, oh, he's shooting this. Like, yeah. Fine. <laughs> Like, seen that guy make 36 in a Copa del Rey final shoot, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, they're just how... guys like, he's up there for teammates. Now that we've had that conversation, but there's just the guys that are like, yeah, do whatever you want, please. <laughs> right, have you anything more on this one or should we shift on? Uh, nah, nothing more. Um, took care of business. Um, they're waiting for a couple of guys. They're going to be interesting when Hadiazar shows up because that's like, is there any... There's less than 10 guys in this league that are like five alarm fire when like they catch the ball on the halfway line and I might need to think about doing something defensively. And Hadezar is one of them. So that will be interesting, but we kind of spoke about it. I don't still don't really know what their best lineup is. And we're like, we, no, have, Pat, think... we have Pat back after Christmas. And there's two teams that are like, hey, we're bringing in superstar four or fives and still have some stuff to figure out. Yeah. I, where I stand, I actually have basically the same take on both you and them uh, post-Christmas, but it's like, I just feel left a little bit cold by the fact you're bringing your best player in late and I still can't point to what you've accomplished so far and be like, ah, that's groundwork for the fact that we're going to do this thing and it's going to be really, di- it's going to really ramp us up. Like, I think yeah, waiting for someone to come back isn't preparing for them to come back. Yeah. I think I think both teams probably get better in the sense of addition, but not multiplication, if that makes sense. Like I don't yeah. know how much each player coming in amplifies the rest of the team, but No, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um we shall see. And also if you if you want to talk about things in just terms of straight addition and not necessarily multiplicating benefits, then I think just straight addition of Hadiazar and Pat is probably pretty good in terms of like, hey, let's just lump this guy on here and see if it improves. Yeah, and also as far as figuring out how to fit guys in, it's certainly easier to do once they're here than it is to do hypothetically with like an empty chair and a training drill. So yeah, looking forward to him being back and us figuring it out and I'm sure they're looking forward to Hadiazar showing up. Um, But yeah, uh, let's move on. Let's do it. Let's move uh, down the road a little bit. Tra- Let's go Servicius Burgos, 54, Gran Canaria, 70. Yo. 
Yeah, Cause... this was this was interesting. Uh, Helen Freeman starts over Arredondo, still only plays 15 instead of Arredondo's 25, but yeah. Arredondo had his best game of the season, probably. Um, yeah, interesting. 21 points, hit four of six threes, which was wild. Um, Mental. He's quietly, I say quietly, I don't know if it's quiet to everyone else, but like he, like he's probably shooting 40% on three this year. Yeah. I don't know. It takes a lot of wild ones as well, maybe, but he, his wild ones are mostly long twos. Yeah, he, he is probably the league leader in um, like shot attempts with the silhouette of his chair at some point crossing the three-point line. Like, oh, I was just going to say, backcasters on the three-point line, All-Star 5 doesn't have to be the points. Because um, there's a couple of candidates in both of these teams. <laughs> uh, Arredondo, Gomez. Arredondo, Gomez. Not uh, Flacco, I don't think, because he loves like a 34-foot pull-up if he can get one. No, nah, uh, Flacco's in there too, man. Flacco's no, in there too. I've never noticed it with him. Maybe it's because he's... Very first shot of the game against us last week or whenever the hell it was a couple of weeks ago was just like dribbled down, two-man game not established, screen not broken down, just sat and pulled it. Um, Alexi Ramano is Ramone. great at just inside the three-point line pull-ups. Yeah, um, I think Salazar's not quite that, but Salazar does love like a stationary 20-footer. Yeah, man. Um trying to think of guys in other teams that love that um it just doesn't make any sense to me no we'll have um, to come back to it at some point but it's a good we've got got a solid list so far i was gonna say we got to four in this game that's hilarious <laughs> but yeah um also also katie's probably on there because if you just pass her the ball and that's where she happens to be sitting there's a reasonable chance she'll just shoot it anyway i was gonna say you can see the basket from there <laughs> um this sounds like we're talking trash like Want Katie down and she'd shoot whatever she wants to. Um, like 21 points on 50% shooting. Um, but yeah, Ramana leading the way with 28 on eight for 14. Uh, followed by Katie with 21, Salazar with 14. And yeah, this was this was interesting. Burgos making a comeback in the second quarter. I don't really. I don't really remember why that happened. I don't really, nothing jumps to mind, but then they come out in the third quarter and just, Grand Canary just crushed them. Yeah, that was um, Arredondo making a bunch of shots. And I think Grand Canaria got a little over aggressive with the defense. And I think people do fall into this trap a little bit against Burgos because they play relatively stationary offense um, in terms of like how they set up. There's not a ton of movement. I no. think teams think the counter is to play like super aggressive and try and push them around. It's like actually they've got big guys out there. So if you're getting way out of position to try and disrupt things, they can usually just throw the ball over the top. And yeah, they've got three big rollers on at any given yeah. point. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I did think it was interesting as Grand Canaria pulled it away that we've seen Flacco's mobility kind of prop Burgos up in a bunch of games. It's like the one that comes to mind is when Mercia tried to press them and Flacco was like, hey, I can push with these guys and Gomez can launch the ball 94 feet if needs be. Yeah, and Sherlunian tried to press them and then they just stopped pressing and won by 50 in 30 minutes or 25 minutes. We didn't do the episode on that one because it was just before I was getting ready to go away. But um, yeah, that's exactly it. And 
Gomez will throw the ball the entire length of the court, typically in a shot attempt, and then Flacco can chase down the offense. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, we that we were playing them the week after that, and I was like, all right, these team, these guys aren't that quick apart from Flacco. Like, I wonder if we can press them. And then I watched that, and I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. Like, I'm not going anywhere okay. near. Like, it might be coincidence, but I was like, I'm not going anywhere near that. No, thanks. Given all that, I then thought it was particularly interesting that you see Flacco who would seem like a logical matchup for Ramone just get completely and utterly roasted. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah, like Flacco is is probably at the top end of whatever tier is directly below Ramone, but the chasm between those tiers is vast. And yeah. Ramone, 12 of 16 free throws in the game tells you everything you need to know. Um yeah. That guy know, makes his money from free throw line and like breaking away. Like he's so good at so good at getting good looks like yeah. he's like makes makes like mid-rangers but like I, he can get to 20 on like layups and free throws and you yeah. can't do anything about it sometimes the list of guys who can take Ramone out of the game to an extent one-on-one is probably harry brown lee fryer or like the lee and pete tag team maybe um tom o'neill thorn that's probably it in spain off the top of my head at the very least um i yeah, know i think like you mentioned Harry, like Amiab have a couple of guys that can hang with him, like Phil. Yeah, and yeah. And... yeah I, guess, I guess they, I said Harry, because he's the kind of guy they would typically dispatch to play him straight up. Yeah, to like six someone on another guy, just be like, hey, go get him. You don't see Amiab sending like Phil and Ben out to pick guys up full court. Hmm. Oscar on Rubia does that for them. That's true. Um, but yeah, I thought Grand Canaria took a little bit of a wobble, and Burgos had typically, as shown in that Lunion game we talked about, Burgos can hang with anybody for half if they're making enough shots, but they mm-hmm. wear down, man, and one thing that Ramone does not do seemingly ever is wear down. He should play for Thuringen. Oh, man. That's... <laughs> yeah, he's he's a little smaller than their fours, but like... No, they had, think... once, they had what was his name there for a while, didn't they? Dylan Fishback is like... Yeah, a... but he never played, is the whole thing. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, um, that'd be so fun and not play and take the deal on fishback. <laughs> what a pointless exchange that would be, right? Have we got also any... going from the nicest, sunniest place that you can play basketball in Europe to the coldest, grimmest place? Right. Wheelchair basketball's answer to what's the place called from the Batman movies? Arkham Asylum. Ah, uh, yes. Right up next. What is up next? Uh, are we moving to Germany? We are. These Baden 65, Cologne 54. So, I'll come clean. I went to uh, watch this this morning and it just didn't play for me. So, yeah, I tried, I tried to watch it back as well because I'd watched it like side by side with a couple of other things. Um, and it wasn't available. I think it must have streamed live and then not been available for replay, which is a shame. Um, yeah, yeah, I had no idea. I I went to watch it this morning because I was like, that was the one I had left to watch, and I was like, oh, cool. I'm gonna seem yeah. stupid. No? Thanks, Baden. Get yourselves off of that HVO dot events or whatever that website is called, and put your games in a reasonable location, like a flipbook in someone's pocket. Um, yes. Yeah, I thought from the glimpse of this game, I did see. And you can tell a little bit from the stats, I guess, is that the vast majority of um, Wiesbaden's points came from their perimeter guys. So 
Aaron Young with 20, um, Nico Drymuller with 10, Mikey Pay with 14, and Moji with 8, although that was mainly on just breaking down the defense and being quicker than their other big guys. But yeah, I thought um, this was an interesting one because we talked about that Hanover and Cologne game from a couple of weeks back where Hanover were just besotted with the idea that they were going to beat this bigger team with elbow pull-ups um, or like quick pops off the pick and roll and shoot an open 11-foot shot. And it's a sound game plan that suddenly looks really bad when you can't make an open 11-foot shot. And Wiesbaden have the personnel to employ the scheme that Hanover were trying to employ and do so successfully is probably the headline of this game. Um, Mikey, Aaron, and Nico swinging the ball around and Cologne's ball pressure is okay, but they typically are sagging at least one or two guys under the basket at any given point. And there are yeah, the ball pressure is okay. And then if you're able to come off a pick, yeah. um, there's generally there's generally bullet could out in the charge circle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it go- it goes back to what do you remember the game we talked about where Pappy had forty something against Galatasaray? Right? Six, then- I believe. Yeah, and then Galatasaray lost again in the uh, Euro Cup to Padover, and it's like, ah, yeah, Turkish bigs can't play against Italian fours because Italian fours want to shoot the ball from 9 to 12 feet. Um, yeah, it's a thing of, like, I don't know, if you get, like, two patterns that are, like, like dark and light and you lay them against each other and they just fit perfectly, it's like the spots that Turkish defences don't defend <laughs> and spots that Italian fours shoot from. <laughs> it's like... We go a 3-2 and we chase around the place and we leave the elbows open and the Italians are like, cool, well, I'm going to shoot from the elbow and we're going to send our low pointers into your bigs. Like, I will always remember that game. I was like, I came off a pick. He sent the ball inside the first time. I got swamped. And next time I was like, I don't want any more of those. Like, <laughs> shoot every Like, pretend you're going to throw it to me every so often if you want. But, like, shoot. Shoot the next one, please. Uh, you, you bet. You best hope that happens again, man, because that um that Galatasaray team that you're going to run into in January looks not not to be trifled with. We'll probably... Oh my god, yeah. I, did I tell you this, or was it on the podcast last week when it was like, um, I was running through their squad that I'd seen a list of somewhere uh, on a bus to one of the games and I see it maybe crashed the van but, when he heard it was on the team. I was like, yeah, sorry, man. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. I don't know why that's so surprising to you because I messaged you at least like a month or so ago being like, oh, all those guys who left Fenerbahce are now at Galatasaray and you freaked out then. So I don't know if you just like suppressed the memory short term and then you No, 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 no. I know I did, but it was funny. Like I probably shouldn't have told the like captain and like guy who basically built our team from the ground up while he was driving <laughs> like but yeah uh but it's better than showing up there and being like i wonder if they have these guys oh yeah they do and also he's here now um but yeah sayari is there right that's that's an issue sayari abedi ferret gumush and ishmael are well um, we're gonna have a bad time uh added, okay added to balut and gunaiden and whoever else was there for the yeah so yeah. have fun with that. Um, I, because we're going to Istanbul, obviously. I, I, I'm i getting like targeted TikToks and Instagram reels and whatever. And one of them was of some Turkish food. And it was like, would you try one of these in Istanbul? And I was like, whatever, well, some sort of kebab. And I was like, I'm there for four days and I might have six of those. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going there to like try Turkish coffee, 
think it's not nice and then just eat a load of food. But yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. Should we talk about Cologne very briefly? Because I was going to say talking about Turkish people would have been a good way to like turn the corner there. But um, yeah. um, Cologne, pretty solid performance. Just they didn't get Kudal's usual reliable kind of high teens to low 20s. Um, I thought Wiesbaden did a pretty good job at keeping him from his sweet spots, which his sweet spots seem to have expanded over the course of the season from like charge circle out to comfortably just posting up by the screen. But I thought Wiesbaden did real well at targeting where the lows were and like pushing them off their spots and making him deal with the fallout of that. Um, slight throwback game for Mustafa Kortmaz, who's not played a whole lot recently. Uh, they went back to their three threes lineup with Robin, Mustafa and Tommy Gray for a little bit. Um, Thomas Raya off the bench played 34 minutes, had 17 points. He seems to be... I mean, they were competitive in this game. Seemingly every minute they play Thomas Ryan more seems to nudge them more towards competitiveness from what we've seen of Cologne. Uh, granted, they've been wildly inconsistent all year, but just play the guy who makes you tangibly better. <laughs> I know they yeah. played him four minutes, but like, is it too much to ask to roll... I mean, he's like early 20s, man. He's not going really keeling over if you play him six more minutes, right? Um, <laughs> he should be fine. Um, yeah. And it wasn't files, like... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my take on Cologne. They have obviously been massively up and down. I thought this was probably a decent barometer of who they actually are, more so than most of their games recently. Um, good enough yeah. to hang with a better team, not quite there or... You could argue maybe they would be quite there to put a scare into them if they weren't shooting themselves in the foot a little bit lineup wise. But whoever's in charge over there probably knows more about basketball than me. So if they want to come on the podcast and let us know what their coaching decisions are, we will be in no spot to argue. And if we were, that would make for a horribly awkward episode. I was going to say, could do you think you could actually deal with someone coming on here and being really critical about us? Because I don't think I could handle it. Oh, like, no. I think. I would love it. I, mean, I know. I think I'd let you do that on your own. I think I would just leave. I I had to listen to Mendel telling everyone how um, controversial I tried to be. So I could the best thing I could do would be back it up and be willing to argue with people who had taken some level of offense at what I'd said. Sure. Well, to be fair, you had Perry on here just to give him abuse about something. <laughs> like You had Perry on here just to abuse him about the fact that he disagreed with you abusing his club. But yeah, yeah. anyway, uh, talking about abuse. Um... Hey, good one. Oh, I didn't even, I hadn't even opened it yet. Uh, Turingen 93, Zvikau 26. This is not actually the case because Zvikau is kind of, like, I think Turingen are just like their parent club at this point, isn't it? Basically, they have like some sort of link there. Um, uh, I didn't watch this because I'm not paying to watch a 93-26. Um, um, yeah, this was... Robert Hager started, uh, played 30 minutes and had 25. Yeah, man. Um, Vahid has been out for reasons that, as far as I'm aware, are undisclosed or certainly not. They haven't been like... They're unknown to us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but Hua Hager's been playing a decent amount, and granted, they've had a run of games against relatively weak teams, but I mean, I was even surprised when they played Landil, they went with a Vahid for Hager sub, like, mid-first quarter, I think, and... Yes. I, I, think I like Vahid, him. Yeah, I think Vahid's pretty established in Thuringham, like, he's got his wife and his kid there, I think. I would be surprised if 
they were prepping to move on from him at any point, but I don't really know how this role of the bigs is going to pan out once everybody's, I mean, presumably Vahid's available again at some point. Um, I think you'll see when they get to Champions Cup stuff, it'll be like, there are 40, there are like 40 odd minutes for one of the bigs at all times. And then the only time one of those two starting bigs goes to the bench is if they're going to play a load of mids. Like, I don't think, like, I, I don't know how many minutes you're going to yeah, spread out just, apart from that. It makes me wonder, because I don't know what, how you feel, but it feels like a long time since we've seen peak Vaid. Um, the version of him I always think of is like the, was it the 2020 Champions Cup or 2021 Champions Cup? Oh, that it? time that we had to have the, is this guy the best player in the world at the minute conversation? Uh, like that cup? Yeah, he was just wrecking people. Um and since then, I feel like my memory of him is largely chugging along against weaker teams and then they play somebody of real substance and he has a quiet one. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know what's going to come of it, but I hope they're able to get their hope they're able to get their rotation sorted out whenever he's back. But in the meantime, they took care of Zvico, who had nobody in double figures. So yeah, do you want to hear something that's hilariously Turingen playing hard? Go on. Jens Albrecht, Alex Holyski, Joachim Linden all had four finals. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if, like I don't know. I haven't seen the game, so like I don't know what that says. But that's so funny to me. Like, Hilarious. great spot. Just stay out of trouble and go home. <laughs> um, Wild. That's my yeah. thing. Anytime I'm on a bench, on a bench, or playing in a game like this, I'm just like, that's, just get home. Like, what are we doing? Like. Exactly. It. Let uh, let this clock run. I remember sitting on a bench and it blow out, and they hadn't realized that the shot clock was just running. And I was like, "Don't say a word. <laughs> Leave it." But yeah, um, cool. Not a whole lot else. Not a great deal here. Nope. Okay. Uh, right. Let's go. <clears throat> so this will forever go down as the Aussie parade in Germany. This was Hanover. 81 Munich Iguanas who if you want to go and sling some money at their fundraising page for their live streaming equipment go ahead 42 I don't know how much money you would have to throw to bump them 39 extra points um yeah it depends you could throw some at some table officials but you have some <laughs> questions asked um, um Tom McHugh 25 Tom McHugh who's been selected for uh the Aussie team for their qualifiers in January, I think. Yep. Shouts to him. Um, to him. They finally selected a half point somewhere. <laughs> that but, was mental. Do you think they were looking at it like, oh man, this half a point's just really going to throw off the maths when we have to do the totals on the fly? Just an abacus with little smaller beads on the sideline. Uh, no, uh, I think they'll manage. I think think international superstar and all-timer Brad Ness will probably manage to count to 14. Like, I think, four think, he's, good, I think he's good for that. What's that? Four and a half himself, so he's not going to be like... Yeah, that. I was going to say. He'd just be like, what lineups could... He just like, imagine that. He figures out what lineups he could be in and work backwards. To be fair, play style, like, I, it would it would work. He does that enough times, and then he's like, he's worked the lineup out with him in his head, and then he's like, hey, Tom, just come sit out a second. I'm just going to show you what I'm... And he just... Like, 
the equivalent of when like superheroes rip off their clothes and they have their super their super suit underneath. He like pulls away the chair that he sat on and he's actually been in his basketball chair all along. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's sitting in a normal fold out chair, but it's like material with a folded chair like <laughs> drawn onto it. So it like creases when he grabs it and he pulls the rug out. <laughs> Perfect. Um That's we'll so to- dumb. We'll have to pitch him on that idea, but um, yeah, we'll have to yeah. get him back on. We, that was kind of in the works at one point, and then it, was. it will uh, happen at some stage. Um, Post Christmas, we go on, we go and get pestering these guests, but um, pestering these pests. Tom was twenty-five um, on seventy-three percent. CJ with twelve on seventy-five percent shooting, and then Sean Norris just really letting the side down with only seventy-one percent shooting. <laughs> 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 But um, I thought this was interesting because we saw Hanover a few weeks back really struggle against Munsterland, and it feels like they've done a little bit. I guess there's, you could argue there's maybe, I don't even know if there's dip in competition between Munsterland and Munich, really. Certainly not by results, but I think you could really see that Hanover have learned some lessons from that game, it would appear, um, in terms of knowing how to play against teams with a load of bigs and targeting the the low pointers both on their own offense and also accepting that they can generally just allow one pointers to roll into the paint um especially when Tom's out there for more minutes than he has typically been yeah. and yeah they just they pressured the shooters like you would not believe and they d- forced the dump inside to the guards and they just swallowed it up um and it really really threw Munich off, and I think this is more transition points than Hanover will have gotten at any point during the um during the season. I mean, it says eight fast break points. That is categorically false. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, seems undershot slightly. Yeah, that, that was this is another great reminder of um CJ is one of the all time. Hey, throw him out there against weaker team players. <laughs> He's like just the most merciless hound the ball one on one steal go the other way layup. I think he did that three or four times in his stretch that he was on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, man, I thought Hanover have looked like they've lacked focus against a couple of the lower down teams. That certainly wasn't the case here. And unfortunately for Munich, they um, they paid the price of that one. I'm sure they were hoping for another game like Munsterland had against Hanover where they could just keep it close enough to try and nick it at the end. But this is also... If you're Munich, you've had enough close games with enough decent teams that I think the um, the flip side of that is that the stronger teams are going to start taking you a bit more seriously than they would have done otherwise. So that's where you have to step up another level, right? You've got to be able to beat or challenge teams who are ready for you, not just rely on sneaking up on people. Exactly. Yeah, there's no sneaking up in December at this point. Um, also, you're talking about CJ. Um and steals has just made me think of like we need to build a first team all give me that <laughs> um yeah guys that could just be like hey I, I'd like this basketball please thank you um brave on Jennifer five times yeah cool you can, you can stick the rest of your points up your no <laughs> um, yeah um very little to say about this sorry um should we run through scores or nah we kind of stopped doing that yeah, I think that it merits it for certain games. I don't know if this is one of them. No. All right, cool. Last one. Well, there's yep. two left, but one of them we didn't have stats for. So okay. um, what was that? Sky Wheelers and Trier. There was no yeah, stats. Trier, 87. 
um, Skywheel is 68, and the extent of my knowledge on this game, having given it a cursory scan and then realised there are no stats, was that Passavan and Patrick Dorner had 36 and 21, respectively. Um, the trio got 57 combined from those two guys, and then they were missing both Marika Miller and Corey Rossi and were able to pile 30 more on top of the 57 from their, their two top scorers. So, yeah, um, not the best outlook in the world for Skywheelers. <laughs> if you're letting Trio put 87 on you without two of their rotation guys, but Patrick Dawn has been like one of the biggest um, step-up candidates of the entire season so far, I think. So, yeah, I think he's been great. Trio are still catching people, and I don't even know if Skywheelers are really built to withstand a passive and 36-point game without an extra 20 points chipped in from somebody else. No, exactly. Um yeah, pretty tough to watch at point. But last one. Uh yeah, let's move on. Last one. Uh Landil 75. Uh fictional wheelchair basketball theme park. Oh, it's been a minute. Munsterland. Uh 41. <laughs> BBC Munsterland, sorry. 41. Um another big Guntner game. 25, 12 of 18. Um, my guy's on a tear recently. Yeah. Um Giving him the belts obviously just carried carried his confidence a level higher. Obviously, yeah, I mean... to be fair to him, I forgot to post that on Instagram, so <laughs> it, he probably doesn't even know. Even yeah. if he would have, if we posted it, I'm not sure. But I like, I like to think Mendel would have told him. Yeah, maybe it might have come up. That would have been nice. Um, but anyway, at least at least the the people know the people all seventy of them know. Um, <laughs> you you added an extra zero there. Yeah. I added a T. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought this was obviously how this game was going to turn out. Um, again, it was one of these where it was pretty close or closer than it maybe would have looked for the first quarter is 17-11. But Landil aren't always the most murderous out of the gate team. They'll feel it out for the first quarter or so. Um, no, and I think at the point where they were maybe going to start picking up a little bit of momentum, there was a sub and then... Tommy picks his second file up in the first quarter. Yeah. And then they go Payman, Mizen. And it's a weird one from there because they still go on a run at that point anyway, when it might just have been like, okay, like Munsterland's token resistance is folding at this point. Like if they can like scramble to pick a lineup out. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that 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 maybe that was just the point where they were going to fold either way. But um yeah, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like Landil tried to go four four three two. I mean, yeah, four five four three two one. They tried to go Guntner, Yannick, uh, Mandel, Tommy, Rose. Um, so I think they're gonna push that lineup quite a bit. Uh, maybe in Europe. Um, although they don't, they don't quite have the Spanish obligation to like try Euro Cup lineups for non junior point lineups and stuff. But, um. It's funny that I tried to play that lineup, but I don't know how many minutes it got to play together, like 20 odd. Um, with Tommy in file trouble, they were probably like, Oh, for God's sake, yeah, <laughs> for God's sake. But and yeah, they still got a good 20 minutes out of it. But, um, yeah, man, I think there was a point where me and Mendel were talking about this last week. Like, I feel like Munsterland kind of run their offense where it's like it's almost if you put cones on like baseline edge of the key, elbow edge of the key. 
a free throw line for the sake of a drill. And they're like, I know this is where we shoot from. Even if there's no one in front of you, it's like, no, 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 I shoot shoot here. And there are times where it's like, you are a push of your chair away from a layup. And this is a post up now. And the percentage has dropped considerably. And it's just like a little, it's a little mechanical. And it's almost as if they're built to look for mismatches, even if they're open. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's like, well, no, I'd shoot this from the baseline if there was a one pointer on my chair. And it's like, no, 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 you can. Yeah. You're, the hoop. you're pretty big like that they, they went to like they're built for like the safe option rather than be like hey let's let's see see what we can get there was like hey we know we can get this and that's good enough yeah and then there was a point where i don't sorry forgive me you might be able to tell me there was a point where they had to change from their the five that starts the game and plays most of their minutes and they went three bigs two ones and it's just that lineup had nothing for Blandil. like uh, uh, none of them did but like that was that was tough yeah um, like I think they have one lineup that sticks around and any real changes they're they're in difficulties and they they were yeah they went like Philip Shorb Soren Gebauer for a good 10-15 minutes and that was yeah yeah you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's um, if you look back at, I think it was the first week of the season or second week of the season. There was this game played in Munsterland, and it was like a nine-point result, maybe Landil taking a win by nine. Oh yeah. So this, if you're Landil, this has to be encouraging that you. I mean, you could even say that with a slightly lukewarm first half. Um, where you didn't really separate in either of the quarters individually. Landil come away with a 30-something point win here. Um, is certainly evidence of progress in terms of, I don't know if there was ever a question of talent gap um, in this particular matchup, but it's certainly a, a question of, you know, application and effectiveness. And if you're Landil, maybe they don't do this themselves as much as I do, but I, the reason I default to Thuringen a lot more is because I know... Somewhat ironically, I always think that because I see Thuringen come out and lay waste to these weaker teams, I believe in them to come out and assert themselves more, which they do in 90% of cases and then seemingly never do against Landil anymore. Um, But yeah, I think Landil, I've occasionally questioned how much they assert themselves against weaker teams, and it certainly is a step forward on that front. Um, They obviously don't measure their success in any given game or season by how they do against weaker teams, but it certainly doesn't hurt when you're trying to get a grasp on who these teams are. Yeah. Do you think teams that go to the basket all the time and go inside more look better, quicker against worse teams? Because like, if you're going to blow a team out, this scoreboard runs up quicker on layups than it will on like, hey, we're getting good mid-rangers all the time. Yeah, yeah I think that might fair. be it. Like if you've got a, if you've got a team that's kind of not stopping you and you're getting whatever you want. If what you want is an 80% look, it's gonna that first quarter is gonna look a little worse. I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe it's not the case. I mean the logical thing at that point would um be to point out teams shooting for anything less that you should probably want an 80% look more than a, a 50% look. But yeah, but that's the thing that we've pointed out with Landell over the last handful of years where it's like, hey, like I don't know, the 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 17 footers going in is meant to open up the rest of it for you. Um, but no, this year they look a lot better with that. Like I think Mendel 
kind of gives them a little bit of punch in terms of going to the basket a bit more. I don't know, like maybe that's unfair, but um, do you not agree? Like there's yeah, been a handful yeah. of years where it's like, hey, like you guys can, yeah, that, you guys can make layups. Again, like, I think that the clash between them and Thuringen has always been like, hey, Thuringen will die trying to get the highest percentage shot they can find. And we feel like it's within our capability to take that away from them. I think Landil work on the idea that the shots they're comfortable with are fundamentally harder to completely erase. Yeah. Um, which is probably true. But then I think if you look at it, for sure is. Yeah. Um, if you look at the club's all time record against each other, I think it, over the time we've been doing this, I would say it has probably ended up dead even, but in like runs of, you know, one team take a couple of wins here, one team take a couple of wins there. They very rarely balance each other out. You know, one one win for one win. No. Fairly split the season. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, but I think Landil certainly have come a long way since the start of the year because those first couple of games where they played Munsterland and Cologne and won by single figures, I was kind of like, this is, especially given how they ended last season, I was not convinced at all, but no. They're getting there, man, and they've got uh, a pretty serious EuroCup group to contend with, from what I remember. So they're hopefully starting to peak at the right time. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, cool. Anything, anything else here, or are we out of here? General housekeeping. I think we're out of here. Um, are we going to do our attempted? Um, New Year's Day recording after we tried it last year and then completely bungled the audio. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, let's try it again. Let's just ramble. Um, if you have anything to point us in any particular direction and give it a bit of Juice. give it give it a bit of a bit of form, yeah. let us know. Um, but yeah. Oh, do we have a belt for this week? I don't know if I have a candidate. I think I would like to give it to Rodrigo Perez because I can only imagine what he did in those closing minutes of that game, and I'm quite happy with that. That's hilarious. Um, That's the most belt thing we've ever come up with. <laughs> give it to the guy that wins a game that went blank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. When, yeah. we do the, when we do the post as well, we'll get to post his stats and then be like, asterisk probably played really well for the last 11 minutes of the game, but we can't be sure. No, can you just post a blank screen but tag him in black? Like, just make it a completely black screen, but we'll know what it is. Cool. I'm on board. Be like, and this belt, and this week's belt winner, dot, 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 and the next screen's blank, but he's tagged in black writing. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Yeah. No one's yeah, gotten this far. Into um, Rodrigo Perez gets the belt. Uh, in terms of episodes, we'll be back. Hopefully, I think it'd be cool to get a guest episode in before the games start again. I don't know what date the games start exactly. Um, Not a clue, but yeah, well, ours start the second week of January. So so for the listeners, 13, we, held, we held off getting any guests in for the last few weeks because um, I was away for a chunk there. December is a pretty tough time to get hold of people because people are generally traveling about, um, people flying home, whatever, and it then people get home and they're really selfish and want to spend time with their families and loved ones they've not seen for months. Yuck. Yeah, I know. Imagine. Um, so yeah, we're going to get back to getting guests in come January when everything settles in a bit more. So if you have anybody you would like to see as a guest, or if you yourself want to be a guest, let us know and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Be our guest. Good Terrible. Up. All right. 
Uh, thanks for listening. And yeah, talk to you next time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.